0: we are going to be having a dialogue on the devil, demons, and spiritual warfare. Okay? Yeah, cool. I'm glad you're so excited about that. A dialogue on the devil, demons, and spiritual warfare. So a couple things up front. First of all, we, we may get in some material that wouldn't be suitable for small kids. So if, if you've got a child in here under the age of maybe junior high, and depending on their maturity in junior high, sixth grade, something like that, I, I, I would take them out. If it was my child under that age, I, I don't think I'd I want them in here. Um, demons are demons, and they're not always appropriate. So uh, the other thing I would say is if you're not a Christian, this will be really fun for you. You're, you're going to trip out, Right. <laughs> So we're really glad you're here. We we think you'll learn some stuff. You get to sit back and kind of trip out on on who we are. Uh, It's going to be a dialogue, okay? So I'm just going to be speaking extemporaneously, off the cuff, from the heart. Uh, I'm not going to be preaching. I, I haven't prepared anything. Uh, So it's just going to kind of be off the cuff. And I'm going to speak just enough to get some questions going. So it's going to be a a question and answer thing so that it's sort of a a real dialogue. There'll be two ways to ask questions. Uh, One, once I start opening it up to questions, you could raise your hand and uh, Dominic will be out in the crowd with a microphone and he'll come to you and you could ask your question over the microphone. Some of you would never raise your hand in church like me and do that so you can text in your questions. So there's a phone number right now. Uh, up on the screen and you could text those in this is a one Sunday where I want you to pull out your phones (laughs) and start texting and you could start texting right now if you've already got questions about the devil demons and spiritual warfare you could start texting at any time we'll be getting them real time and pretty soon Pastor Al will join me on stage and he'll be getting the questions real time on an iPad and we'll be going back and forth from text questions to uh, live questions a few ground rules for us to have a successful and fruitful question and answer time. First of all, if you're going to pose a question, you, you need to be able to pose it succinctly. Okay? Uh, it's just what's going to work in this setting. So if, you, if your question involves like kind of a long story and a whole setup, we want to help you out with those. We want to hear you. This just probably isn't the time. You really got to be able to boil it down to, I need to know A and maybe B. So, so a couple sentences, you've got, you got to be able to boil it down. That, that'll help you to be thoughtful in your questions. That's just what we've got to do here. Uh, the next thing uh, is we're, we're not going to be able to turn this into a counseling session. So I know a lot of you, like me, need help and need counsel and input and stuff like that. We do that at this church. We do it continually, do it for free. We do it happily. Any one of you can schedule an appointment, and, and we'll, we'll give you all the help that we possibly can. But we can't turn this into a counseling session sort of thing. So we, we need questions that are, are kind of direct and um, that we could deal with. Uh, the other thing I'll say is this is not a debate. Okay, it's not a debate. So some of you, you've been waiting to debate me. This is your moment to shine, you think, and to show your theological prowess, but that, this is not your moment. This is not a debate. I would actually love to debate you. I enjoy debating. I, I like arguing. No problem. Would love to do that. Come see me afterwards. We'll set up a time, and we'll do that in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. But this is not the time to do that. We, we can't turn this into a debate, nor is this your chance to stump the pastor. So you're, you're not thinking of, like, your hardest, gnarliest, like, you know, enigma, paradox, and then laying it out there. This, this is for honest, sincere seekers who, who need some truth to help them in their lives, okay? M- me among them. Um, if I don't know the answer to something, I'll just tell you up front. I'll just say, I gosh, I I don't know the answer to that. I've got no pride associated with that. I'm not going to try to make something up. I have no need to look smart or knowledgeable or cool. I'll just tell you I don't know the answer to that. And I I could probably recommend a resource where you might be able to find the answer. If I have a biblical reference for an answer that I'm giving, I will tell you. Here's how I support that from Scripture. If I don't, then I'll tell you. I'll say, "I, I, I don't I can't support this from scripture, but, and here's the reason why I, why I will do that and I'll need to do that, is because the Bible is not a book about the devil. The Bible is a book about God. So somewhat frustratingly, it, it doesn't tell us perhaps everything that we wish it would about the devil and demons and spiritual warfare. So some, for some things, we got to make some conjectures and some uh, educated you know, guesses and, and some wise, thoughtful answers to that. So we'll, we'll try to be careful with that and, and tread lightly and I'll, I'll let you know when something is not represented in Scripture. Why are we doing this? Two reasons, really. The first reason is we are a, a church on mission. We are a church on mission. And what we know about mission is that it always draws opposition, yeah. right? The, the mission of Christ going forward, at first John 3, eight says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, yeah. right? So Jesus came to deal with the devil, First at the cross and currently and ultimately in the lake of fire. So part of the mission of Christ going forth through the people of Christ uh, is is dealing with the devil and his works in the world and counteracting evil with truth and good and salvation. So anytime that you're on mission, you're going to encounter opposition. So that's happening. We're on mission. We're planning a new campus in a few weeks, a new church this year. We are a people who are on mission, so we're drawing some new opposition all of us. We need to be aware of that. So I hope this would raise the level of awareness. The second reason why we're doing this, and this is perhaps even more important, I I want us to get this. We spent the better part of this year talking about the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the implications of the gospel for our lives, diving deeper into what that means uh, for daily living. And, And the first part of the gospel is that we are desperately wicked, more wicked than we could ever possibly imagine but that we are radically loved, more loved than, than, than we could possibly conceive of. And, and in his love, God gave Christ his son to die on the cross in our place, that we might be forgiven, set free, that the power of sin, death and the devil might be broken in our lives, that we might have brand new life and hope. And, and so now, because of what Christ has done for us, dying in our place, praying, paying the price for our sins now, God the Father relationally views us through the lens of what Christ has done for us. So he sees us as pure, spotless, holy, innocent, and blameless, even though we're guilty, broken, and wicked because of what Christ has done for us. So that our relational wellness with God doesn't depend on our performance with the rules. Gosh, that is such good news because I'm so bad at keeping the rules. But because Jesus kept the rules in my place and died on the cross for those that I broke, my relational rightness with God doesn't depend on the keeping of my rules and that, that causes me to rejoice. Now, what, what grace, we're talking about grace here, what grace in the gospel causes the, the careful Christian who's maturing to do is want to obey more. In other words, we, we don't get off the hook because of what Jesus did and, and, and say, ooh, I'm gonna sin more. That's not what a a real deep thinking on the gospel and a realization of grace does. You see, if a man or woman has been touched by the grace of God, they're brand new. Previously, their their core identity was predisposed toward evil and pursued after evil. Now we have a new identity, we're new creations, and we pursue after God. And and we want what is good and right, good, true, and beautiful. Beautiful. So that, that causes us, because of the love of God toward us and the work of Christ in us and the reality of grace in our lives, to, to want to obey. But, but not always. Sometimes I, I find myself thinking this way. I know that what I'm about to do is a sin. I know because of what Christ has done for me, God is going to forgive me and that this isn't going to endanger my relational standing with God. So I'm going to do it anyway. Am I alone in that sort of thinking? And and though it, it doesn't endanger our relational standing with God, and here's what I want you to get today, it does put us in danger of the work of the devil. That's what I want us to get as a church. That's why we're doing this today. That, that's what we need to understand. In light of the gospel and grace, we need to know that, that sin opens us, us opens us up to the work of the enemy, and, and specifically, persistent and unrepentant sin. Okay, not necessarily to a great degree the kind of sin where I did it, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did it, and I immediately repent before the Lord, right? But I'm talking about persistent, habitual, unrepentant sin gives the devil an opportunity, a place in our lives. And and that's what I want to try to tease out in our dialogue. So I'll start with a story uh, about my own spiritual warfare that I've been experiencing lately. You could decide if it's due to being on mission or persistent sin. But I came back from my sabbatical in Hawaii, took a month off. As you guys know, thank you for letting me do that. And uh, it was because I was getting tired of ministry. You know, after two years of cancer with my daughter and, and this incredible church and everything, I just was feeling pretty burnt. And a month should have been more than enough time to rejuvenate me, refresh me, give me fresh vision and zeal for mission and for ministry. I came back from Hawaii refreshed physically, uh, surfing better than I've surfed in a long time. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Incredibly tan, in a great place with my family, and totally unmotivated for ministry. And that really concerned me. Man, that really... That was that was bothering me, and I, I quite frankly was was having discussions with myself about retiring. Who retires at thirty nine? I want to. No, I don't. But I, I, I really was lacking a, a desire to do what I've been called to do, mission and ministry, and in the place that God has given me with you guys, I I didn't want to do it. I honestly didn't want to do. It. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to lead. I didn't want to hear the Spirit for new vision. I didn't want to do hard things. I didn't want to press in in prayer for the new things that we're doing. I was really apathetic. And when it really began to worry me was when a couple people, a couple of you, noticed it. One of you said to me in particular, Brett, I could, I could tell that you're, you're doing all the right stuff, but your heart is not in this thing. That, that began to concern me. And so I I was having conversations with other leaders in the church and some of you lay leaders and some of the young men in our church and we were just catching up after sabbatical and what's going on in your life. And as we were dialoguing, I began to realize that some of them too were feeling this sense of apathy. They're doing the right thing, still doing missions, still doing ministry, you know, plugging away, persevering, but feeling apathetic about it. Not a lot of zeal, not on fire, not a lot of vision, not a lot of, let's do this thing, just kind of, okay, we'll do this thing. Once we started talking then it began to dawn on me that perhaps this is spiritual warfare. Now, there, there's a lesson to be drawn out there. It's twofold. Number one, when something is spiritual warfare, it, it usually catches us unaware. We, we usually don't identify it right away as spiritual warfare. We just don't. I, I, I don't know why that is. I, I, at least I don't. I, I wasn't catching that it was spiritual warfare. I was just thinking, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I've worked too hard. Um, I'm, I'm spent. This is the end of the road for me. I, I mean, I was really distressed about it. But, but, and here's the second part of that lesson. I only discovered that it was spiritual warfare in community. This is why Christian community is so important. If I was isolated on my own, I would have sank deeper into apathy and despondency. And it was, it was leading me toward depression. And it was leading me toward fear of the things that I was committed to do. Real fear about what I was committed to do. And had I kept to myself in that, I would have slipped deeper and deeper into that stuff. But because of Christian community, talking with my friends and, and peers, we, we begin to identify, oh, this is, this is spiritual warfare. You know, a weird thing about spiritual warfare is sometimes when you're in it, you just don't recognize it. That's why we need Christian community. Help us realize that. The second thing is sometimes when you're in it, you, you can't do anything yourself to get out of it. We've been given all the right tools by God, and we'll talk about those to do that, but sometimes you just can't. So once I identified, oh, this is warfare, I was like, okay, I'll pray my way out of this. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll read the Bible out of this. I'll, 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 I'll get out of this myself. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't make any headway in it whatsoever. So once again, I needed Christian community. So I got together, those guys who were closest to me uh, in my life, and we got together on Tuesday morning and just said, guys, let's talk about spiritual warfare and what's going on with us. And some people shared some stuff, and I shared this apathetic thing, and a few ag- other guys that were there were like, oh, my goodness, me too. Same exact thing. So I said, okay, this is the enemy, so we need to do some warfare. So now I'm going to explain to you for us what warfare looked like, okay? So first of all, we identified it. That's really key. Identify what the enemy is trying to do and call it out. That—that's the enemy. Name it as what it is. This is the enemy trying to work apathy, despondency, impression, anxiety, and fear against me, and reject it. So we said together, "No, this is this is not." who we're supposed to be. This is not who Christ has made us to be. This is not who I am in Christ. I'm alive to Christ and alive to mission. So then we said, let's pray. Let's do some spiritual warfare. So the guys got around me and a couple other guys experiencing the same thing, put their hands on me and they started to pray. Here's how they prayed. They began with the person of Christ. Jesus, you saved us. You're you're the, you're the loving ruler of the universe. And in your great love, even in spite of our wickedness, you came and you saved us. And in saving us, you've given us a new nature, which isn't apathetic. It's alive to you. It's alive to the living God who is forever on mission in the world. You've not made us to be passive. You've made us to be involved in your life and what you're doing in the world. So the prayer started out with the identity of Christ, who he is, and went to what he's done for us, and then who we are in light of what he's done for us. And then we just begin to call out that thing and say, you know what? We reject apathy in Jesus' name. We're not going to give in to this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9 says, resist the devil firm in your faith. James chapter four, verse eight says, stand firm against him. So, so we, we stood firm against the devil. We, we're, we, together in prayer, we're resisting the devil, standing firm against that work of him against us, saying, we're, we're not gonna in into this. We're not gonna do this. We're saying no, okay? Then we prayed, Lord, free us from this. Protect us from the schemes of the enemy. Deliver us out of this. And then, here's, here's where it gets exciting. And then some of the guys begin to verbally rebuke the devil. Yeah. Okay, out loud, saying, Satan, you cannot work this against Brit. Christ has not made him to be apathetic in mission and ministry. This is your work against him. And in the authority, the person, the identity of Jesus Christ, we say, no, you must leave him alone. You must flee. In Jesus' name, we break what you're trying to do against him. Like, who gnarly, creepy Christian stuff, right? Let me tell you what's happened since then. I was immediately delivered from that. I was immediately delivered from that. Since then, I've had more missional and ministry zeal than I've had in years. I've been like downloading vision from the Holy Spirit nonstop. I am like excited. I don't even want to go to sleep at night. I can't wait to get up in the morning. I am like pumped to do this thing. Now, what made all the difference was spiritual warfare. There is a battle because there is a battle going on for the souls of men and women And there's a battle going on for the well-being and the missional vibrancy of every single Christian. There was a battle. And I was getting my butt kicked for a little while. But we went to Jesus who has defeated Satan, who rules and reigns over every power and principality and authority. And in his name, because of who he is and his work on the cross, we got the victory and it completely changed everything in our lives right now. Now, Having said that, I'm going to ask Al to come up, who's taking your text questions. I've seen some of you texting. Get ready to ask your questions. I'm going to bring Dominic out, and I'll say one last thing. Part of the trick is just identifying when something is a work of the devil or demons, or when it's not. And you have you have two unequal, opposite errors that Christians makes Christians make. Some people see the devil in everything. Right? Like they go into the store and they want to get some haagen and they're out of haagen and they're like, the devil. <laughs> you know, they stub their toe and it's Satan or, you know, their car needs an oil change. Oh, the devil. And, and they see everything is spiritual warfare. And you know, I, I think we need to be careful about that. I don't think we should throw spiritual warfare around so easily and blame the devil for everything. I think we're giving them too much credit when we do that. And sometimes life is just hard, right? Sometimes they're just out of haagen <laughs> Sometimes your car just needs maintenance. Sometimes you kicked a rock. Like sometimes life is just hard. So, so it's an error to see the devil in anyth- everything, but it's also an error not to see the devil in anything, right? To just go through life thinking, oh no, the, the enemy's not working anything against me. No, I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't got to worry about that. That's, that's an equal error, p- perhaps even more dangerous, Certainly, the devil would probably rather have you in a state of, no, he's not doing anything. I'm going to start us with this presupposition. I'm going to start where the Bible starts. The Bible doesn't necessarily explain all the origin and all the why of devils and the demons. It just lets us know that they exist, that they're alive and they're well, and they're working in the world and non-believers and in the church and Christians, and that he has given us tools to deal with them very effectively. With that, are there any questions at this time? Okay, right in the front here, Ananda.
1: So how do you uh, cast out a demon that keeps coming back uh, to a child okay. that she visually sees?
0: Yeah. Um, okay, I'll say this. We'll, we'll deal with that question right now, and that I know is, is real life uh, for some people. This is like... This is the gnarly place. I've had to cast demons out of my house that were messing with my kids. Um, I've done that with a lot of other families in the church. This is really important. I also, though, want us to bring it down to a level where where most of us live with things like fear, anxiety, despondency, depression, uh, believing lies, stuff like that. But this is incredibly important. So how do you cast out demons? Demons. And what about when they come back? When I was living in Ventura, uh, just before this church started, uh, Kate and I lived there for two years. We moved into a new house there. And one night I heard Isaiah, who was a a young infant at that time, screaming, and I walked into his bedroom. And the bedroom was electric. It was ice cold but, but burning hot. And he was screaming in terror. And there was an incredible demonic presence in the room that was terrifying. And I rebuked the devil. I said, in Jesus' name, I command you to leave this room. You cannot have my son. You cannot be in this place. In Jesus' name, I command you to be gone. Now, the reason I did that is because that's what we see in the Bible, right? The model that we have of Jesus is Jesus verbally commanded demons, He taught that to his disciples, and so when he sent his disciples out on little mission trips and told them to cast out demons, that's what they would have done. That's what the Apostle Paul did in the book of Acts. That is the model that we have. It's not that we always need to do that. I totally believe that sometimes we can pray quietly and say, Lord, please deal with whatever this is. This depression or this anxiety or this demonic presence, please deal with it. We could pray that quietly or out loud, and sometimes the Lord will deal with it. In fact, a lot of times the Lord will deal with it. Other times he expects us to use the authority that he's given us to say, well, why do I have to say it out loud? Why can't I just pray it quietly to the Lord? It is kind of like saying, well, why do we need to preach the gospel out loud? Why don't we just pray that people get it? Or why do I need to encourage people verbally? Why can't I just pray that they're encouraged? The reason is, is because throughout history, God has chosen to work through people rather than independent of people. And he has invested us in authority, with authority as his ambassadors to be part of his mission going forward against the work of the devil in the world. And and the primary model that he's given us for that is verbal rebukes. Now, I did that. It was effective. They went away. They came back. And they came back to my house several times. So I called up an older couple here in the church who are in this service right now that I love and respect very much and have helped me in my life immensely. And I said, look, this thing, is, it, it keeps coming back. I, I, I don't know what to do. And so they came to the house and I was telling the story and they said, well, did you tell it that it can't come back? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> no, I never said that. And it, it seemed honestly overly simplified to me, but, but we prayed and we prayed that way and we prayed through all the house. We, we prayed through every single room and we said to the devil and demons, you may not come back to this place in Jesus' name and the authority of who he is and what he's done. You may not come back. And there was never even a demonic peep in that house again. So I, I believe that that's the strategy. Now, the thing about demons is sometimes it's, got it. And other times it's a long drawn out battle. And I've had a lot of got it. And I've had a lot of long battles. So I, I think we're, we're in a battle here. And I think we need to persevere. And I think that Christianity is meant to be lived out in community. So anytime that I've been facing like gnarly spiritual warfare, I always bring in all my bros and, and women too. I, I bring around my friends, my, my Christian community. We're not meant to do that alone. And like I said, we usually can't, when we're in spiritual warfare, we, we, we need help. So that would be the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a text question.
1: Do you think that there's any connection between spiritual warfare and depression? Can you talk about it? Um...
0: Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I think that Jesus said um, that he came that we might have joy. He came to give us joy and peace, and depression is is when we're lacking Mm -hmm. joy and peace. So I think that that Satan attacks us with depression, no question about it, no question about it. Uh, I like to read Christian biographies, and some of the most effective Christian leaders, men and women, that I've ever read about suffer from depression, despondency, melancholy. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Satan will definitely do that, but we know, don't we, in our culture, that you can also have legitimate physical chemical imbalances, right? There could be f- physiological reasons why you're depressed, and, and sometimes those could be addressed um, by medical science. Here's the hard thing. If if Al and I were wrestling, first of all, he'd win. <laughs> but if, if we were wrestling, each of us would make ourselves very aware of one another's weaknesses, and we would target it. Like if Al knew that because how gangly and long I am, I couldn't get out of a certain hold, he'd be going for that hold every time. If, if I knew that he had a fresh scar under his eye that I had previously put there, I would be <laughs> elbowing that scar every single time to try to open that thing up. A- anyone in any sort of battle knows that you go for your opponent's weakness, right? Satan is so cruel. Yeah. Satan is so cruel yeah. and he, he knows our weaknesses. Yeah. He just does. And so he'll always go after them. So here's, gosh, I hate him. So if someone is suffering from depression, and there's a lot of that in my family, so I, I, I know the, the horror of that. If Someone is suffering from legitimate, you know, medically diagnosed depression, that's where Satan's gonna attack. And here's where it gets hard then. How, how do you how do you deal with it? Because neither practitioner could be 100% fruitful. So, so, so we might pray and break spiritually what the enemy's trying to do, but there's still that, physiological chemical imbalance. We could pray that the Lord would heal it, but the Lord doesn't always heal that. Or, or they might just go to the doctor and get some medicine, but there's still this demonic attack going on. So so it gets, it gets very difficult, and that's where we need wisdom from God. That's where we need to partner with modern medical science. Um, that's where we just need to be really wise about what's going on, and that's where we also need to not falter on either side, like, no, it's not the devil, or it's just the devil. We really need to Wade through those things together, but certainly depression. That would be uh, one of the ways that he works against me most recently in the last uh, eight months or so. Uh, let's, sh- let's go to the crowd now. Oh, I'll hold it. No, hey, hey Britt, um, and Al, I know that in John chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into a uh, corona. Or, wine, uh, wine, yeah, not Corona. <laughs> I like Corona. Yes. And and so you know the world always says that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. W- what is your take on that? I mean, you got healed of that stronghold. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> well, yeah. Of course, the world would say it's a disease, and we would say it's a sin, right? So, and even if it is a disease, um, and, and this really touches some of the, the homosexual issue too and what people are thinking about that. Uh, even if it is a disease, we believe that he heals all of our diseases, ultimately. And he's also able to now. So we believe that our identity is no longer alcoholic or homosexual or pervert or broken or ripped off from. It's beloved child of God. Mm. And, and that, you know, uh, he's just able to do that. He's able to do that, and he gives us that victory. Let's go here.
1: How do you tell the difference between your own sin nature and the devil at
0: work? Okay, that's great. When we talk about sin, there are three things that contribute to sin in our lives. The old flesh, which is still present until we're in glory, right? Um, Culture, which we deal with all the time. The world, which is against God. And the devil, Okay, so those three things contribute to sin. And usually it's a partnership between them, right? The world appealing to our flesh and Satan adding to that temptation. So that's usually how that's going on. What was the question? I forgot it. How do you,
1: <laughs> how do you tell the difference between your own sin nature and the devil at work?
0: Mm. Okay, this, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> so you got those three things functioning there and, and they're usually functioning together. So it's not a real clear bifurcation, right? It's not a real clear bifurcation, but let's think biblically. Where does the New Testament place the blame when we sin? On us. It doesn't place it it on the devil, right? That's why I'm so against this, uh, this ideology which says, oh, if you eat too much, cast out the demon of gluttony. If you drink too much, cast out the demon of, you know, drinking. If, if you lie, cast out the demon of lying. The Bible doesn't blame demons. The Bible blames you. Christian and non-Christian alike, the, the Bible blames you. The ultimate responsibility for a sin is on the individual. Okay? So that, that, that's where we need to start. Now, Satan will then always try to tempt us further towards sin. How do you discern between the two? I I, I don't think you need to discern between the two. I think that the flesh meets the devil and says, hello, old friend, let's work together against this new creation. So we crucify the flesh, right? And we resist and stand firm against the devil. And I think they're always in tandem. Did that answer that?
1: I think it does. I have a question though. Yeah. Before we go to Dominic. Okay. How does that work in terms of, uh, in terms of, areas that believers open the door to, to the devil, in terms of maybe the whole tapas thing. Do you want to cover that now or you want to wait on that?
0: Yeah, let's cover that. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 and 27, we read this. Do not sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, thereby giving the devil a Now, it depends on the translation. The New Living Translation will say a foothold. The NIV will say a foothold. The English Standard Version will say opportunity. The New American Standard Bible will say opportunity. And the New King James will say place. So don't continue on in anger. When you do, you give the devil a foothold, opportunity, place. This is what I want to get to persistent sin opens us up to the work of the devil in our lives whereby sin is perpetuated and worsened and made more difficult to get out of hence foothold which is a way to translate that word opportunity which is a way to translate that word also from the greek but the real idea is place it talks about spatial uh, like like a room it's, 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 it's spatial language of inhabitation. When it says in Luke chapter 2, there is no room for them at the end, tapos. It, it's that Greek word, Topos. There was no room. So persistent sin gives the devil room in our lives. And that becomes a, a foothold or, or a stronghold whereby sin is worsened and we feel more and more trapped. That's why we're talking about this today. Because we have this, this gospel which has set us free, but we need to be careful because the enemy wants to work against us. Now, what does the enemy want to do? Well, th- think about it like this. Jesus wants to give us hope, so the enemy wants you hopeless. Jesus wants to give us joy, so the enemy wants you joyless. Jesus gives us peace, so he wants you without peace, right? Jesus causes us to be free from condemnation, so he wants you to feel condemned, Jesus has washed us white as snow. The enemy wants you in shame. Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. The enemy wants you trapped in sin. And we open up the door when we have unrepentant, persistent sin. So the course of action then is this. We repent of that thing, right? I'm I'm, I'm turning away from this. This is wrong. I'm, I'm gonna stop doing this. We get prayer because there's a foothold in our lives and we need help. We gather the Christian community around us to pray for us that that foothold, that that place would be broken, cut off, shut off to the enemy. And after repentance and prayer, we rejoice. This is where we continually preach the gospel to ourselves. Because what the Lord wants to do is bring us out of being trapped in sin and all that that leads to, depression, despondency, anxiety, fear, uh, feelings of condemnation. And he wants to bring us through repentance, spiritual warfare, and prayer into joy. So we we preach the gospel to ourselves. Even though I'm desperately wicked, I'm accepted before God because of what Christ did, and I'm radically loved, and we preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out. And that brings us into a place of rejoicing. Does that answer that question?
1: Yeah, and... You mentioned last time we talked a little bit about bitterness opening the door, because bitterness is mentioned yeah. in the Ephesians 5 passage, yeah. Ephesians 4.
0: Ephesians 4.
1: How does bitterness or anger or those types of things that we typically don't classify as part of the sinful nature, more yeah. of the acceptable sins, how did that open doors
0: again? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 3 says, don't let a root or bitterness spring up by which many are are defiled. So Satan doesn't usually appear to us as a monster and scare us. He usually works through these little subtle ways. Unforgiveness, harbored anger, which turns to bitterness. These are the primary work of the enemy against the believer. And so that's why Jesus made it an issue. He said, you've got to forgive people. As you've been forgiven, mm-hmm. that's why Paul called that one out and said, "Don't don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor bitter uh, anger. It turns into bitterness, it gives the devil an opportunity." So those subtle ones are are really important. They they, they open the door. You know, some, some of us have been hurt by people years and years ago, and we haven't forgiven. We're still angry. We're harboring that. We are daily opening ourselves up to the work of the enemy. Daily working ourselves, opening ourselves up to the work of the enemy. Um, But I think any form of of sinfulness does this. You know, jealousy, lust, greed, sexual immorality. When we persist in them and we're unrepentant of them, they open us up to the work of the enemy. You know, I think a big one is pornography. Here's what I think about that. I think that pornography is so incredibly powerful in its destructive force in the lives of men and women and families, that Satan has said, wherever pornography is, there I'll be. There's just nothing more powerfully destructive in our culture right now. So I think Satan, as a wise adversary, has said, wherever pornography is, there I'll be. I think the moment pornography is in our house, there he is. On our screens, on our PDAs, on our bookshelves, televisions, I really believe The Satan has said wherever pornography is, there my demons will be. That, that That's why we can't persist in sin. That's why, why we've got to repent. And there's strongholds now. It's hard to get free of. It's called a stronghold. He's got a place. He's got a, a base of operations, a, a base of warfare. That's why we need to get prayer from the Christian community and then preach the gospel to ourselves continually. Yes. Let's go to the crowd. Move back a little bit. Move back a little bit. Homie, right over here.
1: All right. So uh, the media kind of portrays the devil and demons as having some sense of omniscience. Um, Is there any, like, biblical standard on, like, do the devil or does the devil hear your thoughts or?
0: Yeah. Okay. uh Okay. no, the, the devil is not all-knowing, omniscient. That would be an attribute of God, and he's not. Um, he's been studying humanity for thousands of years, so he's, he's got a, a lot of insight, but he's not all-knowing. Can he hear our thoughts, read our minds? That's a big one, right? Um, in Matthew chapter 16... Jesus told the boys that he was going to get crucified, and Peter said, no, Lord, don't do that. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of men. It seems there that Satan influenced his thoughts directly. We seem to say, see the same thing with Simeon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, that Satan had implanted thoughts in his mind. Most of us have experienced that, haven't we? Where th- there's a thought that comes into our mind that is so evil and horrific that we say, that's, that's demonic in its nature. I think we experience that in dreams and stuff as well. Let's do another crowd one. In the back, Dom. Um,
1: What do you have to say about spiritual warfare in places of worship and people who have been hurt by this? How do we as Christians best help to heal our place of worship and the people hurt
0: by it? Yeah, uh, I, I would say that spiritual warfare is... Prevalent and present uh, in worship when the church gathers. There's no question about that. Uh, Satan wants to work against Christians, and here we are all together. And one of the ways that he most wants to do that is relationally. So he wants us not forgiving each other, not extending mercy, not extending grace. He wants us judgmental and mean. He wants broken relationships within the church. That gives Satan a top-off, a place. How do we heal that? We repent. We extend grace, kindness, Mercy, extravagant grace toward one another. Let's go to text.
1: Um, my son returned from YWAM and since has felt anxiety and is always struggling with assurance. So out of character for him. We've prayed and we don't see any changes. you have any
0: yeah. thoughts for us? Yeah, that if he went somewhere and he came back that way, that, that would seem like spiritual warfare uh, for sure. And I would say that if you're praying and you're not getting success, you need to pull them back up. So your Christian community, your community group, is why it's so important to be in life groups and community groups because you have that immediately. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what we do for each other. If you're not in a community group, you, you, you gotta be in one. You've got that immediately on call. So they need to call him back up and certainly uh, pastors and elders at the church are happy to do that. Mm-hmm. But when I get stuck in those places and it happens to me, I call him back up. Mm-hmm. Do we have another one in the crowd? Somebody over here, have a, I think down the road, do one of you guys have a... Okay. Dominic, okay. there's one right here. Well, let's... Okay, right there.
1: While you're getting ready, I'm going to ask this question. What can we do in our daily life to resist the devil and or demons? Okay, that's great.
0: I think, that, uh, I, I think that Paul, the Holy Spirit, vis-a-vis Paul, w- was really helpful to us in this when he gave us a metaphor of the spiritual armor. Okay, the metaphor of the spiritual armor. So what does Satan try to do? He tries to lie, he's a father of lies. So he tries to lie about your position in Christ, uh, the cleansing that you have in Christ, uh, Christ's faithfulness to you, so on and so forth. So we have the belt of truth, the belt of truth, the, the word of God, and we have the sword of the spirit. So what do we do? We saturate ourselves in the word of God because it's truth and it combats the lies. What else does Satan try to do? He tries to tempt us to sin. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness, Ephesians chapter 6 would say. There's both imputed and practical righteousness. We're righteous because of what Christ did for us, but practically we need to live righteous lives. And here's where persistent sin comes in. When we are sinning persistently and unrepentant, we have a crack in our spiritual armor. The breastplate of righteousness is not so righteous anymore. So right living is protective against the schemes of the enemy. He tries to cause us anxiety. And so we begin in the shoes of the gospel of peace. We preach the gospel to ourselves all day, every day. He accuses us, you're horrible, you're not worthy. And so we have the shield of faith. We stand behind the faith of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He tries to condemn us, and so we have the helmet of salvation. These are metaphors. We think deeply upon the salvation that's been won for us by Christ Jesus, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he tries to confuse us with false doctrine. So we have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We must saturate ourselves in the Word of God, we are also told that we have prayer in Ephesians chapter six and in Second Corinthians chapter ten verse four, and that it is powerful with God for the tearing down of strongholds and untruths about God. So uh, it's those things, mm-hmm. yeah. right here.
1: Um, <clears throat> how do how how does the word or how do we understand the timing of when this spiritual warfare takes place? Like when does? Um, a child become too innocent to struggle or deal with this, or how do you explain to someone when is it fair that we, we meet this spiritual warfare? I mean, do you think for a child to experience it, it's yeah, yeah. Are they,
0: uh, you know? We're talking about um, Satan, the ultimate wicked one. It's never fair. He'll hit, he'll kick us when we're down. The timing is always the worst timing. He's very opportune, and um, he's always messed with my kids. From the moment they were born, and more times than I could count, I've, I've stood in their bedrooms rebuking Satan as they sleep. I've walked around my house, inside and outside, and prayed. I've stood at the end of every street I've ever lived on and lifted my hands and called on the name of Jesus to rule and reign at the end of my street and rebuke the enemy and said he cannot mess with my kids. I pray against cars hitting my kids. I pray against sickness. I pray against bad dreams. I pray against the wrong people becoming connected to them. I pray against adults who are predators. Uh, The the horrible truth is that Satan is after our kids. It horrifies me to say that, but we have authority in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the victor. He has disarmed the enemy. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And it's never fair what Satan does, but Christ is the ultimate victor. And we've been given authority and tools to walk in victory that protect us from that. And ultimately, Satan will burn in the lake of fire. Uh, go ahead.
1: Okay. I just want to touch on something that you just said because I think it's really important. Um, and you'd be the first to say that the enemy comes in and accuses you, I'm, you know, I'm not a good enough pastor, a good yeah. enough dad, right. a good enough father. But what you just described reminds me and reminds all of us of the importance that a, a father has in a role of a home as, yeah. the, as the pastor dad of his home, as yeah. the priest of his home, yeah. to, to yeah. lead them and to shepherd them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, <clears throat> authority is always invested as needed. Okay? So if you got someone in, in, working in the mailroom of the company, you don't give them authority like you give that of a CEO. Authority is always given as needed. Heads of household need a lot of spiritual authority. Christ has given it to you. The adventure is to learn how to use it. And that's why we're talking about these things today. You have to learn how to wield the authority he's given us. He gives as needed and he gives enough. That's
1: great. Yeah. Um. Do you think that narcissism is an imbalance, or does the devil have a hold of them? A hold of them. What can I do besides prayer to pre- prevent them from lying again? I, um, now, let's take it away from just narcissism alone. Well, How about,
0: I mean, you struggle with that. You should probably yeah I, mean, <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's only because I don't have good friends, so Ooh.
0: I mean... Should we wrestle? <laughs>
1: we actually do a lot of the time. Um,
0: uh, let's, let's skip that one. I mean, I, I, one. I would repent of narcissism. Okay.
1: That's, um, let's go to this one. Um, what is an appro- is the appropriate way to fear or not fear Satan? Sometimes I feel uncomfortable talking about Satan or demons and fear that it would draw attention to them. Yeah. Let me add to that. Can demons hear my thoughts and know
0: my thoughts. We already answered that one. Oh, man, where was I? You weren't paying attention. Okay. <laughs> you were thinking about yourself because you're so narcissistic.
1: <laughs> Probably true.
0: But the first part about fear, we didn't do. First uh, John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in you, Christ, than he who is in the world. Christ has already gotten the victory over the enemy. Satan is already condemned. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. So I think that we need to talk about Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. I I think that he would be happy as pie if we didn't, right? The reason that I discovered that apathy being worked against me by the devil is because I was willing to talk about it in Christian community. Had I not, I would have slipped deeper into apathy, which was bringing me, fear, anxiety, and depression. We have to talk about these things. Never should it be in the context of fear. I can understand some momentary fear, but that's when we think upon the person in the work of Christ, mm. who is greater than any power or principality. And Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 says, nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, including devils and the demon. So I, I think we need to talk about it, but we need not fear it. Let's go to the crowd. Dominic, up here. Laura, second row. Uh, with everything that we're talking about today, I noticed that you are quoting a lot of scripture. So how important is just having your heart and mind filled with the word of God with yeah. respect to addressing Yeah, thanks for asking that. My, my wife taught me that years ago, back in like 93. Um, she said, Wherever you are tempted or weak or or the enemy comes against you, study the Bible in that area. Commit it to memory and you'll have a ready sword and you'll get the victory. My wife taught me that. So I've committed my life to studying scripture and reading the Bible. And uh, people that know me, Al will testify, Dom will testify, Mike knows. I, I have the worst memory in the world. I don't know if it's from previous drug abuse or I just don't have, but I have the worst memory in the world. But scripture... It's the only thing I could remember. And I think that's just the grace of God because he knows that it's a sword of the Spirit, that, that we absolutely need it for victory. So that's why I always say to you guys as your pastor, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. It makes all the difference as to whether or not we, we walk in victory as we commit that scripture to our inner beings. Uh,
1: Wait, I have a question on top of that. What if you're trying to read your Bible, you're wanting to pray and draw close to God? And the question here says, What do you do if you keep getting mentally distracted when you're trying to draw close to God? Is this a type of spiritual warfare and what do you do about it?
0: Yeah, I always do. I get distracted every single time. So I I think certainly it would just be safe to assume that Satan doesn't want us drawing near to the Lord. (laughs) He just doesn't. So so that's always going to be warfare. So we persevere. We stand firm and resist the devil, as James and Peter said. We stand firm and we resist the devil. The way that we resist him is by not giving in to him. Resisting is the opposite of giving in. So we turn off the phone. I have to do this. I turn off the internet. I turn off the phone. I put away the surf magazines. I I have to like do those things. I I do whatever it takes to press in. And sometimes I lose and I just end up watching surfing on my computer. And, you know, but I think you just got to press in. That's why it's called spiritual battle. It's a battle, but we can get the victory by the spirit of God in us. Mm Crowd question? Um, Guy in the green shirt. Lovely color. So uh, my fiance and I were actually getting married on Congratulations, Saturday. Congratulations on so Saturday. 16. Thank you. And so we've just really been, for
1: most of our relationship, just really feeling Satan in there, trying to drive a wedge mm. between us and really get in there, especially during conflict. Yeah really causing a lot of fog and stuff and so i guess advice on spiritual conflict in marriage
0: yeah well jesus brought us grace so satan always works against grace so if you're in a battle there satan's trying to stop you from extending grace so so how do we win that battle we extend grace Um, Jesus is truth and has brought us truth. And so Satan is always warring against truth. So what do we do? We speak truth, not untruths, not half-truths. We don't say things like you always or you never, right? That's not true. And then also the battlefield of the mind. We think upon what is true. That, that, that's where so much of the battle happens is we start thinking, oh, she's thinking this, and she thought that, and she's going to do this, and when we start creating this. So, so we think upon, as Philippians 4, 8 says, what is true, lovely, good, pure, excellent, worthy of praise, and of good repute. So the things that we see exemplified in the person of Christ, those are where the battle will be. So truth, grace, mercy, forgiveness. You practice those in conflict, it cuts off the work of the enemy. Congratulations. That's exciting, you guys. You got a good one here?
1: Yeah. Um, this is for you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm not going to read that. It's, it's mean. Um,
0: <laughs> Don't return evil for evil.
1: I know, but it's so, I mean, it feels good at the moment, you know, <laughs> but... Um, can, can demons and Satan attack, physically attack a Christian?
0: Yes. <clears throat> yes. Okay. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> okay, how about this one then? No, Kid no, no. Me. Hold <laughs> on.
0: Uh, it's very clear in Scripture that, that demons can cause uh, physical sickness and different physical difficulties. Um, I've experienced those. I've experienced um, afflictions that, that were demonic. Um, I've experienced uh, blindness. I've experienced the sensation of being bound up, tied down, pushed down, weight, and sickness all from Satan. So certainly you can, and we see that in Scripture, and that's where spiritual warfare comes in. So if if persistent sin has opened up the door, we, we repent, we always pull in the troops for prayer, and we always preach the gospel to us and stand firm in the identity and the work of Christ. I saw that Kim had a question way back here. So Don, Brent, real
1: quick in regards to that. So if, if Satan can uh, bring in sickness and physical stuff uh, to Christians, uh, what else can Satan do to Christians?
0: <laughs> Why you got to try to set it up like that? <laughs> Here's a question he's asking. <clears throat> can Christians be demon-possessed? That's what, that's what he wanted to get to. So we'll, we'll deal with that. And that'll probably be the end of our time. Can Christians be possessed by a demon? Absolutely not, for sure. Yes, they absolutely can. There's no way they can. Okay, next. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Here, here's, here's the issue. Here's why I said yes and no. Possession is not the right word. First of all, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Greek Bible with regards to what demons can do to people, okay? The translators of the King James Bible incorporated that phrase where there's a singular word, daimonizomai, which could be transliterated demonized, okay? So the Greek word daimonizomai, they translated demon-possessed. That was way back hundreds of years ago, the, 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 the translators of the King James Version Usage of words and language changes throughout time. So they may have been right in saying demon-possessed, but that is not the right term for what we think when we think possession. When we think possession, we think absolute ownership and control. For example, I, I possess my car. It's my car. I own it and I control it. My name is on the title. It's bought and paid for. It's mine. And when I drive it, I control it and and nobody else gets to. It doesn't get to decide where it wants to go and nobody else does. I, I possess that car. It's mine. I own it and I control it, okay? Christians cannot be owned nor fully controlled by demons because when we get saved, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. We are not in the ownership of Satan. We are in the ownership of Christ Jesus. We are his. He calls us his beloved. We are owned by him. We are in his hands in the Father's hand and no one could snatch us out of that. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. So we cannot be owned by Satan. So so to say a Christian could be demon-possessed would be wrong in that sense. But that's not the right way of thinking about it. The biblical way of thinking about it is demonized. In fact, a very popular and good translation is the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is a new one. We carry it here. And my favorite theologian, Wayne Grudem, worked really hard to get possession out of, the, out of the New Testament when it spoke about demons and succeeded in doing so in every case except for Mark chapter 5, where we see the guy who was living in the graves and cutting himself and was fully nuts. They wanted to maintain it there because it was such an extreme case. But what the Bible talks about is demonization, which would be influence of demons in a person's life. So can Christians be influenced by demons? Without question. To what degree? Anywhere from very light influence, lies, temptation to sin, to deeper stuff, depression, despondency, anxiety, fear, sexual morality, all the way to really driving us hard in sin and so forming our life patterns and thought patterns that we manifest some of the things mm-hmm. that we see in the New Testament. So can a Christian be demon-possessed? Absolutely not, but it's the wrong question. Can they be demonized, experience demonic influence without question? And I'll be very candid here. That, that, that's controversial. There's a lot, of, a lot of Christians that would say that's not the correct view. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to discuss that further with those individuals. I've cast out dozens of demons of them were from Christians. The usual argument is, well, where the Holy Spirit is, in you, demons can't be. Well, how do you deduce that biblically? In the first temple, we had the Shekinah glory of God there, and yet we know that that temple was desecrated at times. Idols were set up there. The evil acts were there. There was demonic presence. Satan walked right up to Jesus in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four, the temptation in the wilderness, and was in the presence of Christ. Satan walked right up to the throne of God in Job chapter one. So to say that, that demons and Satan can't be in the presence of God is just simply not biblically tenable. So, so that, 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 that argument doesn't necessarily hold. Now, I don't know how it works out metaphysically. Do, do demons go into us? Are they just around us? Are they just influencing? They just, I, I, I don't know the metaphysics of it. What I, what I do know is that Scripture seems to say that Christians can be influenced by demons on a continuum from very mildly to very severely. Just as, just as we can have sin issues, even though Christ lives in us and we have new natures and the power of sin is defeated, we can have sin issues from very mild to very severe and destructive. So that might be my opinion on that. That's uh, controversial. Um, that's been my experience and how I see Scripture. We got time to do a song now. So we are going to have prayer team members come forward. It's crowded over there, so we'll send them over here. And even in the front, pastors, elders, prayer team will be up here. Listen to me. If you need help with any of this, if you through this conversation today have identified some footholds, strongholds, places where the enemy is working in your life, you need the Christian community. You need someone to come and do battle with you. So come forward and get prayer. Don't stay in that place. Let the Lord work for you today. If you you need further help, call us at the church this week. We could set up appointments. We love you and we'll help you in any way that we can.